your way on out to Children's Church. Everybody else, if you turn to Matthew chapter 5, please. Matthew 5 in your Bibles. I'll give you a little forewarning. We're going to be in several places um, in God's Word today. And so we don't always do that. And oftentimes we'll put scriptures that are complementary up on the screen. And we'll have a little bit of that today. But we're going to have you turning to at least uh, two or three more places today. And we'll see how fast your fingers are. It's always good in my ears to, to hear the pages rustling. Um, even if you're beeping, punching along on your device, that's fine too. I've noticed that it's good for me to lay my eyes on the words that we're reading. And at least in uh, two other passages, we're going to be reading longer amounts. And I hope, hopefully that will help us with this particular lesson that we have today. Would you bow with me in prayer one more time? Gracious Father, we would come to you with an expectation that we would be taught the Word of God. We praise you for the fact that we have a Bible right in our own grasp, in our lap, or in our hand that we can look upon, the blessing of your Word. We thank you, Lord, that we can join together and be encouraged and encouraged and even discuss a sermon or a lesson um, afterwards we thank you god for the clear present teaching of the holy spirit and we would ask for that at this time that you would allow us to take a look within ourselves so that we might yes increase in knowledge but also increase in the amount of light that we are giving in the place that you have placed us we pray these things in jesus name amen I found myself recently on the receiving end of kindness that really I did not earn. It came because I had a birthday recently. For some of us, birthdays are things that you look forward to. You like going down that that road and you um, want to have a great birthday. For others, you've counted too many birthdays and so you would just assume not celebrate a birthday. I found myself just this past week celebrating a birthday. I just turned 45 years old, and I am glad for that. And um, I am glad for the special treatment that I received that really I did nothing to earn. It was my birthday. That was it. And I made observations on several points. It started out earlier in the day where I talked to my wife, and I said, you know, I've got this shirt that's really comfortable, but it's kind of got a a mark on it, kind of a stain on it. Do you think it'd be okay if I wore that shirt today? And she said, well, it's your birthday. Wear whatever shirt you want. And so I wore that shirt that's got a little bit of a stain on it, even out in public yesterday. And then as we were uh, going, I was planning my day around my meals. Sometimes some of you do that, I know. You plan your day around what meals you're going to have for special occasions. And we were going out, and I said, do you think it'd be okay if I had my big meal earlier in the day, even before 12 o'clock, and then for the rest of the day, just kind of had treats and snacks? And my wife responded, well, it's your birthday. I think maybe if that's what you want to do, go ahead and do that. And so I followed through with that plan yesterday. And I'm paying the price today for that, unfortunately. When we got out to the restaurant with my family, we went and I took the liberty of telling our waitress, it's my birthday today. <laughs> Just like that. And I said, you guys have anything for people that have birthdays? She said, you can pick any dessert on the menu that you want. And it's free. Just like that. And so I went and looked. And of course, I picked the most expensive uh, dessert that was on the menu. I said, even this one here? 
And, and I knew I was getting sweets later on that night, but I still chose a special dessert because she said, it's free. It's your birthday. And then the biggest test was later on in the meal when my son was eating his sandwich and his french fries and I asked the question that I usually know the answer to and I said, can I have some of your french fries? And the answer from my 17-year-old son typically is, um, no, I don't think so and he usually eats them all. And yet, yesterday, he said, sure, go right ahead. Do you know why? Because it was my birthday. I didn't do anything really special to earn that. I was born. There's nothing that I did that was special. I didn't do any of the work for that at all. And yet, I enjoyed being on the receiving end of some treatment that I did not deserve. Today, we're going to be looking in God's Word and continue our study in the Beatitudes. And we're going to be looking at what Jesus Christ taught about individuals that are on the receiving end of something that not only do they they not deserve, but they deserve something very, very different. They deserve the opposite of what God would give. Our topic today is mercy. And we'll learn in God's word today that God is in the business of creating little experts all across this world at people that are giving out mercy. God is creating in his sons and daughters ones that are very, very good at giving out mercy. And the reason why individuals can catch this and become experts in it is because they have observed it from the ultimate giver of mercy himself, and that is our God. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We've divided each of these beatitudes into two different sections, and we'll do that again today. The first section is the role the role, and very clearly that is God blesses those who are merciful. This is what God does. I've given us on the screen a good definition for our purposes today of mercy, and I hope that you'll hold on to this. If you're taking notes, write down that definition. A tender heart that, there's two things involved, a tender heart that cares and a tender heart that acts for the good of others. And we'll see this coming through as we go through our lesson today. If I could ask you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10 in your Bibles. Luke chapter 10 is where I'm going to point you to first. And in Luke chapter 10, we find a wonderful teaching of uh, Jesus Christ as he goes through and gives one of his famous parables. In fact, this one here is one that everybody even folks outside of church or that know nothing about the Bible, they're familiar with this term. Here in Luke chapter 10, we find the story of the Good Samaritan. And we find two specific qualities that are demonstrated in this Good Samaritan. And I'm going to refer back to this parable as we go throughout our lesson today. I'm going to read verses 25 through 37 of Luke 10. I want you to keep in mind this idea, this theme of mercy. So starting in verse number 25 of Luke 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And 
your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend I will repay when I come back. Which Of these three, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. It's helpful to have some understanding of uh, the picture that is here, specifically with a Samaritan. A Samaritan was a lowlife in the eyes of people in these days. It was one, they were ones that were judged. They were thought of very poorly. And so for Jesus Christ to make the Samaritan the hero in this story is a bitter pill, I'm sure, for this lawyer. And what we find among this good Samaritan is that he looked and he had compassion. And that's one part. Some of you are good at that. Some of you are very, very good at seeing individuals that have a need. Or seeing possibly how you can play a role to meet a very important need. You have compassion. I think it's a beautiful Christ-like trait. When we see Jesus Christ in the record of his life in the New Testament, in the Gospels, we find oftentimes that he would look out upon a group and he would have compassion. We find that he would weep sometimes. He looked upon others and he would, he would um, exhaust himself working to meet their need. In order to show mercy, we have to, first of all, have this compassion. We have to have a heart that cares, a tender heart. And then we have to complete it. We have to act on that. And some of you are very good at this. Some of you are very good at action. There are some individuals that act without thinking. And it's always best if we can put these two together. The action that God wants you to do. I mentioned earlier in our prayer that it's nice when we can be tender to when God is leading us a specific direction or to do something. When we look at this role, blessed are the merciful, we're going to look at two different aspects of this. Number one, mercy reflects the character of God. So if you want to be blessed by showing mercy to others, you have to understand mercy, how how God is describing it here. And to understand mercy, you need to understand that mercy reflects the character of God. There is no better set of 
exciting, interesting stories than we find in the Bible. And in the Bible, parables aren't true stories, but when, we give the, when we're given names for individuals, we know that's a true story. One of the toughest stories for individuals to accept that it's true is the story of Jonah. Jonah and the whale, or Jonah and the big fish, for some of us. And when we look at that story of Jonah, there are so many things that are hard to believe in it. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you might not struggle with the idea that a fish swallowed a man and he lived in there for a while until he got spit out. Maybe you don't struggle with that because you've been stretched in your faith to where you realize that God can do anything. But for some of us, there's one aspect in that story that's kind of hard to believe. It's kind of hard to think that somebody could be so cold and so indifferent, specifically someone who was a prophet of God. Don't you think someone who was chosen as a prophet of God would be compassionate and would be loving? And yet there is a part in that story, the record of Jonah, that we find that causes confusion for some of us. I look at it and I reread this certain section. We know in the story of Jonah that when he was called to go and preach at Nineveh, he went the opposite direction. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why? Why did Jonah go in the opposite direction? I mean, God said to do this. He knows who God is, and we kind of laugh because he's trying to hide in a boat, right? So we kind of laugh at that. But let's get to that foundational question of why. Why would Jonah go the opposite direction? It has to do with this. It has to do with the idea of the characteristics of God and that Jonah knew that God is merciful. And Jonah understood that if he were to go and do what God says, then these individuals, these horrible people that do not deserve forgiveness and mercy, that God would show them love and would forgive them. Jonah understood that because he had gotten to know God. Let me read for you verse number two of Jonah chapter four where it says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are, and listen to this description of God, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And that's a great description for us to hang on to because we find that repeated in the Old Testament. That God is gracious, He is merciful, He is slow to anger, and He is abounding in steadfast love. Jonah knew this because he was a prophet. It's likely that he had read it in the law in the Old Testament. In Exodus 34, verse 6, it says this, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is a God of God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Three different time in the, times in the Psalms we find, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And faithfulness. And this just to round it out, we find it again in Joel chapter 2, verse 13. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. 
So in order for you to be blessed by being merciful to someone else, you need to understand that mercy is an attribute of God. This is one of those qualities that we're trying to copy in our lives. I hope you have a high opinion of the Scriptures, and I hope that if the Bible says it, you believe it. But let me go down this road here. I think that many people expected of God, even apart from what it says in those multiple places in the Bible, that God is merciful, abounding in love, slow to anger. Even apart from those places, I think that individuals kind of expect God to be merciful. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and maybe someone who knows very little about the Bible, and yet they have an expectation that God is going to conduct himself in a certain way. And one of those ways is a way of mercy. I would suggest to us today that many people expect this of God. And I want us to turn to one more place in our Bibles to see this. If you would turn back to Genesis chapter 18, please. Genesis chapter 18 as I was driving in this morning, about 8.30, I came across, a, there was a program on WMPC, and the topic was mercy. And as they were talking about mercy, they gave, I think, half a dozen different Bible references, and not a one of them was a Bible reference that I'm talking about today. And so I'm thinking, boy, have I messed up here? Did I blow my lesson? But I can recall as I was preparing for this that there are so many different avenues that we can go down to learn about mercy in God's word. There are so many different stories. I wanted to pull us back to Genesis 18 and also chapter 19 because we find three examples of mercy right here. Three examples of mercy that we find in this memorable story about God interacting first with Abraham and then with Lot. I'm going to read from four select places here and give some commentary in between. But I'll start reading in the verse, first verse of Genesis 18, where it says, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, bowed himself to the earth, and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. So this is a familiar story because, and we're not going to go into some of the details that follow that, but right away we find that God gives a promise that Abraham is going to have a son. That son is going to come from Sarah, and this was a miracle in itself. And as Abraham visits with these three angels, they get up to go, and then before they leave, they say, shall we keep from this one, from Abraham, the one who will be the father of nations, shall we keep from him what's about to happen? And so they turn to him and they tell him Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be destroyed because of the great wickedness that's there. Two of these angels are going to go down and they're going to examine it. And if it's true that it is so wicked, then God is going to rain fire down from heaven and destroy these cities. And then we see something in Abraham that I think tells us that Abraham knew the character of God. 
Abraham knew that God was merciful. And so Abraham gets into a conversation. We find that going on in verses 23 through 26 and even beyond. But look starting in verse 23 of Genesis 18. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And so here we find that Abraham steps up, and I think he gets bold. Aren't you going to do what is right, God? Is basically what he says. And there's this bartering back and forth, and it's a familiar story. If you've read it, you're not going to forget it. Because Abraham starts out with what number? 50 righteous. And then he goes through a process of subtracting five down to 45. And then subtracting five more down to 40. And then five more. And he goes back and forth with God in a bold way, as far as I read it, till he gets to 10 individuals. And if I'm reading between the lines, the little white spaces where we don't have any information, I'm thinking, well, Abraham knew that Lot was there. Abraham knew that Lot's likely going to have 10 people in his family, so certainly Lot would have told his family about God and they would be righteous. They would be following after God. So likely Abraham thought, I just saved all those people because I got God to agree to if there's 10 righteous there. And of course we understand that there were not 10 righteous that were there. This is the first example of mercy that we see, and I think Abraham expected it of God. Now, two angels go down to that city. They're going to go and inspect it, and there's a whole lot in the story that we're not going to talk about, but I want to fast forward to the point where they have determined that the cities are going to be destroyed, and there are actually five cities that are going to be destroyed here. That was the plan. And yet we see some more mercy taking place. Look with me at the second example of mercy. When the two angels go down, the destruction is coming. Look at chapter 19, verses 15 and 16, where it says, As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Verse 16 says, but he lingered. And so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. There's the second example. He had gone to his daughters and his sons-in-law and tried to get them to flee before that. He was lingering. This was his, um, his practice and God is merciful not to allow them to be killed. He has to grab them by the hand. And brothers and sisters, have you ever had it to where God was being so patient with you and you're still not quite getting it? You're still not quite getting on board with his plan. 
And it feels like sometimes that God has to take us by the hand and pull us along like a stubborn child. And yet God is merciful enough to pull us along to save us from destruction sometimes. And then one more example of mercy that we see, we find it in verses 17 through 20. It says, And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved! Exclamation point. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. We understand as we look at this that there were five cities that were going to be destroyed, including Zoar. And God changes his plans. A city filled with wickedness And Lot says, can I go there instead? And God shows mercy. We find in God's word that the Bible teaches us that God is merciful. We find that individuals like Abraham and like Lot expected him to be merciful. merciful. And so that leads us to a place where we have so much confidence in God. A place where you can come when you need it. And you can come with a confidence, a confidence that kind of mirrors Abraham's confidence because it's not based upon the fact that you deserve anything. It's based upon the character of God. And that's why when we come across verses like Hebrews 4.16, then let, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Blessed are the merciful. You need to be merciful. Why? First of all, because it is a reflection of God's character. Second, we find here that mercy is God's calling to God's children. Mercy is what God calls you and I to have in our lives. When we looked at Luke chapter 10, the end of it, said Jesus says which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers and the lawyer answered the one who showed mercy and Jesus said to him you go and do likewise we're dividing this up into two areas first of all you need to have a knee-jerk reaction a response of compassion and for some of you you have to work on that For some of you, you don't have a very good first response when others are maybe getting something that they deserve. You think, that's right. Has anybody here ever had somebody pass you on the interstate going at least 20 miles over the interstate, or I mean over the speed limit, and then you just kind of prayed that a police officer would pull them over? You just kind of wished somebody would pull them over. And what would you say? You would say, serves them right. Mercy isn't anywhere near your thinking. 
And yet God calls us to want to show mercy to individuals. We need to have a tender heart that cares and then we need to act upon that. We need to have a tender heart that acts for the good of others. Let me finish the, um, the divide. We have the role, blessed are those who are merciful. The reward is they will be shown mercy. That's the reward. They will be shown mercy. I'm not sure if you've been on the receiving end of mercy on a large scale. And here's, here's how you can remember that. If you've been on the receiving end of mercy on a large scale, you're not going to forget it. If you've stood there and an individual very much so had the right to punish you, maybe to say something scolding, and you received mercy, that is going to be burned into your memory because you understand that you did not deserve it and you were on the receiving end of something that was so wonderful and beautiful, the mercy of God. We need to be on the receive, we need to not only be on the receiving end of God's mercy, but we need to be on the giving end. I have one little illustration that I think will help with this. Um, I like playing games. I have a favorite uh, card game that I play. I'm a Euchre player uh, when we come around the holidays. But I do have one board game that I love. It's not as popular. Most folks haven't heard of it. It's a game called Aggravation. Has anybody here ever played Aggravation? Raise your hand. All right. A few people have heard of that. I love Aggravation. You're rolling the dice, so there is some chance that's involved, but there's also opportunity for individuals to choose which marble they'll move, and you want to get all your marbles around the board first. That's how you win aggravation. You get all your marbles around the board first. Now, if you throw the dice and one of your marbles lands on the marble of another person, you have the opportunity to choose if you're going to take your marble and put it on top of theirs, which sends their guy all the way back to the beginning. And I enjoy this game because I love watching people play. Because sometimes you will find the nicest and sweetest and kindest person. And they roll the dice. And they've got multiple marbles they can move. And sometimes they will take their marble and they will almost stop on top of your marble to send you back. And there are other times where there are some individuals that really aren't that nice, honestly. I won't say any names. There are some individuals that aren't that kind. They're playing to win and playing hard to win. And yet sometimes they will show mercy and they'll move a different marble and not send you back. I'm always interested in seeing what happens when I play aggravation. And I want to win. Sometimes I show mercy, sometimes I don't. My point is this. When we're dealing with human beings, when you're dealing with men and women, boys and girls who have a sinful nature, maybe they'll show you mercy. But you cannot count on that. You cannot take that to the bank, that they're always going to choose to be kind to you and not stomp on your marble. But when it comes to God, you can always count on the fact that his character involves his mercy. He will always show mercy to his children. There is no limit of times where he will say, yes, I forgive you. There is no limit of times when he will no longer count you as his daughter or his son. Our God is merciful. The reward is going to come for those who show mercy. So as we wrap up, how can we do this? What can you and I do to show mercy? Jesus said to the lawyer, you go 
and do likewise. I'm gonna give you three applications that you can apply even this week. Very, very soon. If you keep your eyes open, you'll see opportunities for these. Number one, show mercy with material needs. You can show mercy with material needs. In our um, ABF group, we were talking about this passage not too long ago, 1 John three seventeen and 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Can I suggest to you that you will have opportunity to show mercy to someone with material needs? The good Samaritan opened his heart. He had compassion. And as a result of that, he opened his purse. And he paid the price and whatever more it would add up to. Sinclair Ferguson is very helpful in his commentary on um, the story of the Good Samaritan where he gives these ideas. He says the Good Samaritan, when he faces this, this person who had been hurt, the Good Samaritan does not automatically go after the robbers. He doesn't do that. That's not a bad thing to go after the robbers, but that wasn't his response. Ferguson also says the Good Samaritan does not respond by going to the local leadership and let's make this a path that's a safe path. Let's make this path great again, you know, kind of an idea. And saying, let's, let's get this cleaned up, fighting for less crime. It's not what he does. It's not a bad thing. But Jesus tells this story and gives the response of the Good Samaritan because we find that the Good Samaritan responds with mercy. He saw a need and he did what he could. Can I challenge you this week to be one that shows mercy by sharing in a material way? Maybe anonymously giving a cash gift to someone in need. Maybe paying someone's bill. I don't know. Pray about this. Allow God to lead you. Number two, we can show mercy to those who are going through spiritual struggles. Some people are great at this. Some people are horrible at this. God calls us to show mercy. And this is one of the most beautiful demonstrations of mercy, that you can show mercy to an individual who is struggling spiritually. And I chose the 22nd verse of the book of Jude. And have mercy on those who doubt. So not a material need here. This is a spiritual need. Merciful to those who are struggling in their faith. What might this look like? Well, as I was preparing, I thought of a prayer that perhaps you might pray, maybe in just a few moments when our heads are bowed and eyes are closed and the music's playing. Maybe you would pray something like, Lord, help me to be sensitive to the load that that person is bearing. One of the lessons that I learned week after week and month after month with ministering with a local church is the amount of burden that is on the shoulders of the folks that join here together. And oftentimes people don't lead with that. They don't. You come up to somebody and you see them, haven't talked to them in a while, they don't lead with their biggest discouragement usually. They don't lead with the load that they are carrying. 
and the pain that it is sometimes just to get out of bed. And so oftentimes that will take a toll and an individual can take a bad turn spiritually. And so would you pray that prayer, Lord, help me to be sensitive to the load that others are bearing and help me to be merciful to them. I came across a verse that's it's a, it's, it's a vivid verse in Isaiah and it talks about how God treats individuals Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 3 says this, a bruised reed, so picture a person here, a bruised reed he will not break, the Bible says, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench out. The idea is is that when we are down, God does not kick us. He does not break us. And you can take and learn from that I've known too many Christians that have a habit of shooting their wounded. And I can almost promise you that you are going to be on the need to receive mercy someday because you're not quite as strong that day spiritually as maybe you wanted to be. And it's not just that we get it because we gave it out. Sometimes it works that way, but sometimes it doesn't. Because the idea behind mercy is, is you don't deserve it. You deserve something very, very different. And then kind of in the same category, a third um, option for us to uh, live out this lesson is you can practice mercy in situations of embarrassing failure. Situations of embarrassing failure. Now, I use 1 Peter 4, 8, and I quote that verse a lot because if you're going to be part of a church family, you are going to have to put up with things that you don't like. Oftentimes, you're going to have to deal with someone else's sin. Now, there are times when we need to call someone's sin out. We need to confront it, and that's the Christian loving thing to do. But I would say this, there are going to be a vast amount of times where we're going to have to allow love to cover that sin where you are going to have to again and again allow someone else's sin to be covered because I have yet to find a church family that is not filled with sinners. Sorry, guys, but if you're part of this church family, that's your church family. And make sure you're pointing the finger at yourself too because every one of us is a sinner. I mean, think of the marriage relationship. Two sinners together. How hard is that, right? Now let's put 190 of us together. Holy smokes. How did we not burn down the building today, right? We are going to have to allow love to cover a multitude of sins. And this is going to require that you show mercy. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, he had a great illustration that he used repeatedly. Here's the the word picture that Spurgeon gave in this area of mercy and working with others and kind of letting love cover a multitude of sins. Spurgeon said, you need to go through life with one blind eye and one deaf ear. Now you do need a good eye and you do need a good ear. But as you go through life and as you're working with others, you need to have one blind eye and one deaf ear. And Spurgeon said this, my blind eye is my best eye and my deaf ear is the best ear that I have. You need to be willing to overlook. 
You need to be patient because God has been patient with you. And I think we miss that part. We get this big opinion of ourselves that we've gotten to the point where we kind of deserve what God has given us. And that's why God constantly points us back to the cross because that blood was shed not for all these people around me necessarily, but we need to focus on ourselves and understand that, that, God, that, shit, that blood was shed because of my sin. And the hard-hearted person, the one that's always making a big deal out of little failures, this is one who will not be a blessing to anyone and will not keep friends for very long. And aren't you glad? Are you listening? Aren't you glad that Jesus does not treat us according to what we deserve? And all God's people said, amen. You need to be doling out mercy. Individuals need to be on that receiving end of mercy from you and they will never forget it. I can remember places where I was standing among individuals that I loved and respected and I can remember being on the receiving end of mercy. I did not deserve it. I knew what I deserved. I know what I would have said if I was in their shoes. That is Christ-likeness. To give out that mercy, that is a beautiful picture. And so Jesus Christ includes it in the, one of the, in the Beatitudes. Why does he not treat us according to what we deserve? Because he is merciful. And he desires for you and I to show mercy to everyone. Everyone who deserves it? No to those who don't deserve it. And that is what will make a lasting impression on individuals that are seeing your life. Let's pray. Gracious Father, it takes me back often when I think of my sin, when I think of your mercy and how thankful I am that you have shown that, that I am on the receiving end of that. And the danger, the danger that would come into my life of thinking that I don't need to show that mercy to others, the danger that I think the devil would slip that idea in there and say, well, instead, let's go this direction. Maybe this is better. God, would you allow me to receive this message? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Would you allow me to have eyes that are open to show it to others? With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, there's two groups of people that I'd like to encourage to pray today. The first group is individuals who need to show more mercy. You've been forgiven by God and you need to show mercy to somebody. Would you pray that God will open your eyes to an opportunity for that this week, maybe in one of these three areas suggested? The other group are individuals who have not been saved. They've not asked for forgiveness of their sins. God's mercy is available. All he expects us to do is turn to him, ask forgiveness, and trust. Even while the music plays, you can stop and thank God for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and ask him to forgive you. Would you do that now?